Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone is keeping safe and well in the world right now. Konnichiwa, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is having a good end to May. Will it still be May when this comes out? I think it will be. It will, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Chirpy, chirpy, cheep, cheep. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Gents, are we all right? Are we enjoying the late May sunshine? It has been glorious, hasn't it, today at least? Uh, driving back in the wonderful M5 gridlock traffic was a, was a dream in my um, in my sweat box. Well, what about your car? Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No, it's been it's been nice to have uh, weather over the last couple of days. To be fair, and it was good over last weekend as well. Having a having a walk over in um, in Snowdonia it was very very pleasant. The only thing about being so bright, though, I, I had to get the old um, blackout plastic on the windows again when I was watching Prehistoric Planet. Because I thought, well, you don't want to be missing any detail on that. Um, Are you sure that's I what you're watching? Dolby shit? Atmos as well. I wanted the atmosphere of the dinosaurs, since dinosaurs were amazing. I mean, um, you were, I mean, th- there were bones involved, Stu, but I wasn't sure if anything to do with prehistoric dinosaurs. Well, when you look at that, the raptors with the little wings, it's so exciting. Yeah, they have actually gone full full out. They've got little wings and a big big tail as well. With feathers galore. <laughs> so you, you, you do kind of it's like questioning everything you learned as a child that are oh, these raptors are evil and then they're actually not the like big fluffy chickens. <laughs> Jurassic Park has got a lot to answer for, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh, that's a point actually. Uh, I bet they've pre released the tickets now, haven't they, Stu? Because only the tenth of June that it comes out. I ain't checked. Oh no. That's a day one for me, that is. Yeah. Um it isn't showing on the app at the moment for Wolverhampton at least. Give when us all it... one silly world, you cowards. When does anything ever a... show on the app though? True. That there's eight films showing on the app. That that's how many films they have got currently running. Fucking shambles that is. It's all top gunning. Yeah, I bet they've taken up most of the screen. Yeah, looking at, like, Saturday the 28th of May, there's about 20-odd. I suppose you've got to give the people what they want. Mm. I think I'll be going probably, probably not next week, obviously it's half-term, so I think I might go the, the week after when it might be a bit quieter. Mm. Uh, right, anyway, I suppose we can't put it off any longer. We're here to <laughs> discuss 1984's Birdie. Uh, it's based on a book by William Wharton. Um, apparently this book was also the inspiration for The King of Birds by R.E.M. I mean, I'm, I guess you probably ain't going to know that one. Matt, are you an R.E.M. Mm, fan? I don't mind a bit of R.E.M., but I always got the feeling that I like just enjoy R.E.M., musically but i think rem want you to enjoy it more than musically and think of it probably more as like a art an artistic piece whereas i yeah. i just like the jingy jangliness of it all 
Stew, is that your cup of tea? It's like sort of indie meets Americana, I suppose, might be the, the term for it. It's, well, it's one of them, I wouldn't go out of my way to listen to it, um, but I wouldn't turn it off, depending mm. on which one it is. It's, it's just very meh, really. Background noise. Yeah. Mm. And apparently also Birdie... It was turned into a play in the late 90s as well. Um, so, look, it's got a bit of a pedigree, this thing. But I think it may just be in America. Like, I don't know how much the Vietnam story has really permeated outside of America, really. Because, obviously, that, that war is very unique to the USA. So, they seem to have a lot of, I was going to say, daddy issues surrounding it. And it sort of is because... Well, they took a beating on it, didn't they? So I think they do have issues. Whereas to the rest of the world, we don't really give a shit because there weren't many other people who were involved in it. Vietnam is a very American thing, isn't it? I mean, if you take out maybe Apocalypse Now, I can't think of much that's really got into the consciousness, in, in Britain at least. Matt, mm, Vietnam? What, what's no, the... I don't. I can't think of anything like... Um... Full Metal Jacket, that was Vietnam, wasn't it? Mm, I think. Um, And apart from scenes in films like Forrest Gump, um, it's not Vietnam, but it's Vietnam in Tropic Thunder, I suppose. (laughs) Those are the only (laughs) films I can think of. But nothing that really, like, you know, from a British point of view, we don't get into the weeds with it, really. We don't understand it. We don't know the... Not the shame of Vietnam, because I don't know how Americans really see Vietnam now with with you know two generations on eyes or whatever. But um, it's not really our our business to meddle. I don't think no. in Vietnam. Stu, is the Vietnam story? Is it something that's ever really captured your interest? Yeah, yeah. Platoon as well. Hmm. I think uh, the, the thing is, sorry to cut you off there, Stu. When you look at something like, say, Platoon and Apocalypse Now, the stories around the war are so much more interesting. Like, it's about the duality of man and all, all that stuff, more so than exploring what Vietnam was about specifically. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I ain't got a clue what it was about, <laughs> even after all, after all <laughs> this. I mean, it was just an excuse to go and rape some, <laughs> some <laughs> innocent women. Um, but, I mean... The, Probably the most famous thing to come out of it is 19 for us over here. And, yeah, probably. But I suppose if we, it's like the Falklands for everyone else. I mean, it, who probably mm. cares about the Falklands other than us, really? Yeah. So, yeah, from that point of view, don't know, don't really care. Um, but <laughs> it just seems to be one of them things that it was. Pu- it's purely American and they're lost. So that it's, it's amazing that it's even talked about at all. Yeah, I think so. Um, the cast, the only other real name to mention in this is Matthew Modine. He feels like quite, um, not odd as such, but he's been in quite a lot of films. 116 when I looked on IMDb earlier. But he's not really an actor who has made a massive impact. But when you look at his earlier 80s stuff, especially with something like Full Metal Jacket, he looked like he was primed to break out. And then we didn't see a massive amount of him. And then he's come back, obviously, in Stranger Things Season 1. It felt like there's a massive gap in his career. Is there anything that I've missed out with Matthew Modine that really needs to have been seen? 
I had no idea who he even was until it was only when I looked at the um, looked at his face on on IMDb from what he looks like now. So I thought, mm. even watching this film, I thought I've no idea who this guy is. I've seen his face. He's been in a few things that you you've definitely seen. Mm. He was in um, Dark Knight, either Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises. Both. Which one was it? Both. Stewie was in the Transporter too. No, that's what I mean. I, I I know him now, but from yeah. looking at him from a youngster, I I couldn't I couldn't see the evolution there. And we can't forget about two thousand and four's Funky Monkey as well. <laughs> uh, the other name on this one, director Alan Parker. Obviously, he's a director of note, like The Life of David Gale, Angela's Ashes, Evita, Road to Wellville, The Commitments, Fame, Bugsy Malone. He's a director who is known for real-life stories, for noir-esque aesthetics and brutal violence. And I feel like we're a little bit let down by that in this one. Maybe it's because it's his early, earliest work um, that we didn't get some of those flourishes that we get in later films. Especially, like, The Commitments. He's like, it's a cracking film, brilliant soundtrack, but there's a darkness to it as well. Mm. And I, I would have quite liked a bit of a dark. I know we'll get into it in a bit, but I would have liked a little bit more of that. Um, but Stu, I'm guessing you're a fan of the commitments. That seems like that's uh, up your street. Oh, the band of the commitments. Um, yeah, that, well, that, they made the film of that, didn't they? So that's where yeah. it's sort yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a blast from the past. <laughs> even thinking about that, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Knowing that he was in involved in this at all, it kind of got me excited, and then it, it came on. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd never, you'd never in a million years think that this was the same guy if you put him side no. by side, and you didn't know. No, his his auto hadn't developed at this point in the slightest. I don't think. No. Right. Okay. Let's get on to the walkthrough. <clears throat> oh, actually, I better tell you first what the film's about. After two friends return home from the Vietnam War, one becomes mentally unstable and obsesses with becoming a bird. I think we'd all kind of hoped that it was going to be Nick Cage who was going to be obsessed with being a bird and we're going to get that crazy cage. And that's not what we got. The film opens up with Birdie, that's Matthew Modine, staring out of a cell window and Al, which is Nick Cage, uh, with his face being bandaged whilst being wheeled through a hospital. Cage hops onto a train to visit his friend. We get flashbacks to Al playing baseball in the sandlot with some local street urchins. When he hits a ball so hard, it lands in Birdie's backyard. This all seems really odd. Like Nick Cage looks mid-twenties at this point. I think he just turned 20, but he looked older than that. And he's just hanging around with a bunch of kids at the beginning, including Mm -hmm. this girl who he's making out with. Like she looks 13 and he looks older than Mm -hmm. us. Like, it's really super weird at the beginning, and it was a bit uncomfortable, because I assume he was supposed to be a similar age to these kids who were coming up to his waist. Very bizarre. Even Birdie as well. You you think that Birdie himself is a similar kind of age? Is that Fast and Furious? Wow, is this? Wensfield Drift. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's... Birdie does not seem a similar age at all, yet he kind of made out to think that he is, the way how odd he is and he's the outcast kid. It's all, it, it screams 80s with this kind of thing because this happened over and over again. Mm. It seems like things, even things like the Goonies, which was, yeah, he was the, the older brother who 
it's never really explained why he's hanging around with, the, with his younger sibling and, her, and their friends. It's all a bit weird. Do you think we're going to get this with Stranger Things 4? In that now that like they're like they're going to look like they're in their twenty somethings when we're still expecting them to be like kids. <laughs> there is a little bit of that, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Birdie is a strange, awkward loner who, in some convoluted way, ends up befriending Al. They go pigeon hunting together so that Birdie can train them to be carrier birds. Birdie makes a suit out of the feathers for both himself and Al to wear. While suited up, they go hunting pigeons again one night, whilst atop one of the buildings in this industrial estate. Reaching out to grab some pigeons, Birdie slips and attempts to fly to this sand pile below, making the landing, hurting himself, but believing that he flew. We then cut back to the present day, where Al arrives at Birdie's cell. We discover that Birdie has had some kind of breakdown, possibly attributed to his time in the military, but his doctor is unsure about what caused this, but if he doesn't snap out of it soon, he's going to be sent to the loony bin. Birdie is a mute, squatting and bouncing around his cell, hiding away, not even talking to Al when he comes into his cell, basically acting bird-like. That's just under half an hour there. How did we think this was going to go after the first half an hour? Were you intrigued, Stu? What are your thoughts? I hated it. <laughs> I was so bored. And again, I think we got the expectations were heightened when we talked about it last week about the synopsis of it, and we kind of expected the other way round, like you said earlier. Mm. And it was just really. I know we said it, it's half hour, in, but it was so slow, and it felt like it, it felt like an hour, and I wasn't even remotely tired when I when I put it on. And I was sitting there, I think, oh, God, how long? Heck, this is going to be a proper slog. And even though there was there was funny bits, like like the pigeon suit and when they're climbing and he's, when they're trying to cross that, that bridge and he's, the fact that he's just getting pigeons anyway, he's just mad. Um, <laughs> but the, the funny bits are not there anywhere near as much as they could have been. And it's not it's not even dark enough to be, kind of depressing it's just a bit shit <laughs> and i'll put in the things that this is going to be one of these as soon as as soon as it it got to that point and i thought oh no so yeah i was very uh enthusiastic about it after half hour <laughs> matt were you as anti this movie straight off or yeah it, i i just didn't know how they could drag another 90 minutes out of what i was watching that's the thing like yeah. like i just couldn't see how they can justify it or what they're going to do to keep me. I I was going to watch it regardless, but if this was on the telly or in the cinema, I'd have walked out. Mm. I'm not committing another 90 minutes to this if I hadn't have had to have watched it for our dear listener. Mm. Yeah, I'm completely the same. I was immediately bored. I went in with my back up because, as you know, I don't care for war films. So I was already thinking I'm not going to enjoy this. And then it started slow as fuck. And not not even in like a tantalising way, like this is about to ramp up. And I thought, no, this is just going to get slower. Mm. And it did. So, yeah, it was a bad <laughs> start. It was a bad start. Uh, we go back to the flashback now. Birdie's mom is destroying Birdie's aviary following his fall. Birdie and Al decide to tackle a new challenge together to rebuild an old Ford. 
After fixing up this scrap heap car, Al and Birdie take the car to the ocean. Birdie diving deep into the water and Al stood annoyed on the beach. He wants to go and get chicks on the boardwalk. Eventually, Al persuades Birdie to go on a roller coaster where Birdie sits and flaps his arms like a bird throughout the whole ride. They really try to show Birdie's unusualness here. Like, both boys end up with a girl, and whilst Ali's fooling around in the sand with his girl, Birdie sat chatting to her about holding his breath and generally being really socially awkward. Mm. And not in an endearing way or in a funny way, just in a weird, I don't like anyone in this film way. Yeah, it was a tough watch, really, for reasons I'll go into later, but, you know... Uh, they're really hamming home that this that he's um, emotionally and maturely not up to speed. Um, <laughs> you know, in a way that we felt like a bit exploitative. If I'm honest, I don't know. This is a, a, a piece of its time, but other films do it, and we'll get into it more later. But other films do it without it feeling quite as um, as much of a like a, watching an animal at the zoo kind of way. Mm. I mean, that's it's probably right. He, he's mentally retarded. That's what they're making out to be. He's he's very much on the spectrum. So what he's suffering from is um, schizophrenia. So it's a long, he's a long term, like a chronic version of of um, psychosis. Is what he's mm. delusions, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it turns into um, afterwards. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but uh, you know, at first though, and I don't know if this is just a, 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 a concept, you know, a product of the time that when this film was made and what it wants it to be like. Maybe, maybe, maybe this film is way cleverer than I thought it was, not it? It's a you know a critique on on the way that we you know handle the, the you know the mentally ill, but um, it, it never really feels that way. It never feels like it's anything more than being a bit taking the piss out of it a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah. The eighties, of course, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a note here. Are we supposed to believe that he's on the spectrum? Because if he is, it's never explained. There's never any context really given to whatever challenges that Birdie is facing. It's just there. And I, I feel that without that context, it really detracts from the movie. I think if they'd have given us some kind of explanation at the end, they could have rescued it into mm. being mediocre rather than terrible, I think. I think this is one of these where we're watching it now with a modern kind of, a modern eye and knowing these things and knowing what we do know compared to people in the 80s who generally saw the weird kid as being the oddball. I don't and know, it, though. Because... It doesn't even need to be explained because, well, as soon as you see him there on, on his porch and you think, okay, he's the odd kid then, it's like we, you don't, you're never going to get that... explained. We get films though that are from that time period that tackle it in a more sensitive way than this. Even even when they are making it funny, like like Rain Man. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so the boys get arrested. Al's father sells their car without their knowledge. Birdie gets angry with him, wanting his car back. Arguing with Al's dad, threatening to call the police on him. That's the only time we ever see Al. I'm sorry, the only time we ever see Birdie as something other than this meek little bird man. Like, he actually shows a bit of aggression. The only other side to him we see, which is... That that scene when he's, um, when he's arguing with uh, his dad, well, uh, Nick Cage's dad in the house, is actually 
quite good, really. Like they were the back and forth. Mm. Um, it was quite refreshing to see, and that they they played this. I can't remember the exact um, phrase, but um, Nick Cage's character mentions that he's never been able to stand up to his dad, and all of a sudden, Birdie's now not the alpha, but this is someone to look up to. Whereas that's probably the only time in this film that happens, really. Mm, yeah. We then go back to the present day. Al is in Birdie's cell. Al is getting frustrated with Birdie that he's acting as though he's transformed into a bird and he needs to pull his shit together. Al remains at the hospital trying to help Birdie, feeding him and looking after him, getting frustrated by the lack of progress he's been able to make with Birdie, who is still mute and in this bird-like phase. That's an hour at that point. And it felt like a day. <laughs> like we're at the halfway point of the movie now. Um, nothing's happened in this film, and yeah. none of the flashbacks tie into the modern day stuff. I, I'm baffled with it. I really don't get it. Stu, like, explain it to me if you can. Uh, uh, it was at this point I went to get some Harry Bird to keep myself awake because <laughs> I, I was so. I mean, I even said this is going to be this is going to replace next as the worst one we've watched in two, the last two years. <laughs> and uh, I mean, spoilers, it is. It, it's terrible, rubbish, and it was the same thing. I mean, you, you can the highlights already. The fact that when it, some of the things that he does is just funny because it's weird. Uh, the, the feather suit and the the talk on the beach about what boobs are for. That was that was <laughs> quite fun. Um, but, but that's in an hour, and you think it's not well, enough, is it? It's when you can't even enough. list the the good parts on on one hand, it kind of speaks for itself. Hmm. Matt, are you excited going into the second half? Um, I mean, it picked up a bit for me. Now we're starting to see the the transformation from you know his slow decline. It picked up a little bit, I suppose, but um, it, you know, it's still not nothing. I'm still constantly checking how long VLC has left. I'm still, you know, thinking, oh, right, I'm gonna, gonna go pause this while I do something else. A good film, I can't pause because I want to know what's going on. I paused and paused and paused and went and did other stuff. Come back, went and did other stuff. Come back. Mm-hmm. And a good film, you don't do that, do you? No, I mean, it, it took me five nights to write this up because. Of- <laughs> Like, because obviously I did two watches of the film, one to watch it and then one to make the notes. And it took me two nights to watch it because I watched an hour and then had to turn it off and then watch the second hour the next night. I did exactly the same when I was making the notes. Like, it shouldn't take me four nights to watch the film twice. Mm. And then obviously it took the fifth night to write up the rest of it. Like, that's just, yeah. Mm. Anyway. <clears throat> In the flashback, Birdie talks to his father, who tells him that he and his mother are worried about Birdie because of his obsession uh, and not having any practical interests or really any interest at all that doesn't flap. (laughs) Birdie gets Hmm. another canary, which he named Alfonso after Al. We see Birdie is becoming a little more obsessed, talking to the birds in their own language. And his workout routine just consisted of him lying on a bench, flapping his arms. It's really odd. But I do have to say, how incredible did Nick Cage look in that workout ridiculous. scene? Ridiculous. He, he did look ridiculously ripped, yeah, I know. Incredible. Alan Birdie go to a landfill site as Birdie has built himself a set of wings. 
Al cycles as fast as he can and Birdie jumps off the front of the bike and flaps the wings, landing face first into a small pool. Which must surely be dumpster water, so that's kind of rancid. <laughs> the boys then try to pick up stray dogs for the pound, and then we get the na- next flashback. We get a cat getting into Birdie's room and attacking one of Birdie's canaries. I, I realised, this was the point where I realised that none of these flashbacks were tying into anything that was actually going on. They weren't really explaining why his obsession was getting worse with birds. It's just that it was. And I feel like you mm. need to tell us why it's happening, not just that it is happening. Well, it was at this point that I assumed that the flashbacks weren't real. Mm. Um, because like the bird that is in the fucking cat's mouth all of a sudden makes this Lazarus-like um, reincarnation and starts flying around and everything else and... Um, I just assumed at this point we're now tying into his delusions now. And I assumed at some point, like the Birdman film, we're going to see him fucking become a bird. <laughs> like I didn't, <laughs> I, I, like I thought, oh, okay, right, this is where we're going with it now. We All of a sudden we're going to be his delusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't even, wasn't even fun enough to do that. <laughs> no, there was a bit later on, which I thought maybe it was the delusion, but we'll get to that bit. I, I got it completely differently. I, I just thought that it, it was in a the flash the flashbacks were in a different order than what we were shown. I thought this is going to be a weird kind of pulp fiction like kind of thing where mm. you have to piece it to watch it a second time and piece it together later. The fact that you ever mentioned it is probably not right at all. <laughs> I'm giving it too much credit, but I have seen that though before when when birds play dead and then they they, they resurrect themselves. That that does happen. Mm. Well, I think like, I don't know if this is how true this is, but I'm sure that like if a cat gets if a bird gets bit by a cat, that's a death sentence for a bird. I'm sure there's some kind of not poison, but like specific <laughs> with cats to birds, like it does them, it kills them, it kills them off like slowly, kills them off. Like there's nothing you can do about it. Like I remember when one of my cats got a bird in the garden, and I took it to like a vet. And they were like, "Yeah, it's like it doesn't look done for here. Like it's moving around, but it it will be dead. Like it shortly. it won't puncture though, was it? To be fair to me, is that what what might have been the, what would be the issue then? Well, you know, when, like when when be, cats yeah. bite when cats bite you sometimes, and you you get that kind of rash down sometimes. Like if they've got their like cat juice in you. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 But you know, you get that get that kind of reaction sometimes from cat saliva. So oh, okay, maybe maybe that's something to do with that. I don't think they, I don't think they've got cat to bird venom. Then there might it might just be something in their spit that just reacts to birds weirdly. I'm fairly certain this was how the plot to No Time to Die came about. <laughs> cat cat to bird venom. <laughs> <clears throat> right, where are we in this? Do do do. Right, okay. Al is getting more angry back in the present day. Birdie is still in his bird delusions and the psychiatrist will send him to the madhouse and throw away the key if he doesn't snap out of it soon. Al is struggling to see the shell of a man that his best friend has become. Back to the flashback. Birdie is at a school dance. His date drives into a secluded area after the dance and tries it on with him. She takes her top off and Birdie just flops her titties around. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know. Like It wasn't funny. It was... 
almost disturbing and completely unnecessary to the rest of the story. Like they didn't do any sex, and then she just drops him off back home. I don't know what was happening there. Yeah, I, I think I'm trying to give this film too much credit, if I'm honest. But mm. I assumed they were trying to just say that like everybody is just trying to be what everybody else thinks they should be, and she thinks that she should mm. just have sex on prom night, and then she's like, ah, fuck, and he's like, ah, fuck, and and nothing. Like, John, you know, I don't know if this film is just trying to say that we. We're all just trying to muddle on in the world and blah, 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 blah. But actually, I don't think this film is doing that. I just think that it was <laughs> just, just bad. Mm, yeah. I, I thought something similar. I thought she was she was as all, like the female version of him in a weird way, where she was that all, like socially awkward as well. And like mm. when she says, oh, this is what, I'll give you what you want or something like that. And then she mm. takes the top off. And then he does the, he does the jiggle. And... Wasn't even eighties boobs either. Very very nineties for the time. Um, <laughs> if we were ranking them as we we should do, but yeah, that, that's what I got. I got that from it as well. Maybe it is. Mm. Maybe it's the most clever film in the world, and we we just too thick to realise. Just nowhere near it. Yeah, could be. Could be. Uh, we go back to the present day, and it's the same shit that we've seen every fucking time we've been in the present day. We then get another flashback to Al being the victim of a bomb attack in the woods in Vietnam. A bomb exploding near him, and that's the reason why he's been in the hospital and why he's got the bandaging on his face. He sees a lot of his military buddies die around him, and that's why he's struggling to see his friend Birdie like he is now. He's scared of losing another one. Get a flashback. Morning after the school dance, Birdie tells Al that he flew. Back to the present, the doctor tells Al there's nothing they can do to help Birdie anymore. Another flashback. Al leaves for Vietnam. Birdie's canary flies off and then the canary comes back flying so hard that it smashes through the window and then kills itself. (laughs) I'm sorry, but what? Uh, We see Al following the bomb in Vietnam. He's being transported to the hospital. The cops that he was in crashes. Everyone is dead except for Birdie. Now, this is the point where I thought, is this all a delusion? Because we see Al in the helicopter and then the helicopter goes off screen and we see, well, we hear it crash and then it cuts to Birdie. But at no point have we seen or even heard anything about Birdie signing up to the military. Mm. So I was really confused because he wasn't in that helicopter well, I don't think he was. He doesn't seem like it. And he's just randomly in this war where we've got no reason to think he even enlisted. Well, I wondered yeah, the whole way through why why Al or why Birdie was in a military hospital. I couldn't work it out. Like Because like at no, you'd think there would be a scene that shows them enlisting together or something. Yeah. Um, yet there wasn't. And I got really confused by the whole thing. I was like, yeah. how, how, why, why is he even here? But... Because the only scene they show is when Al says goodbye to him because he has enlisted Mm. and he leaves him behind. So there's just no, I don't know, I almost feel, you know, you read a book and you accidentally turn over two pages at once. I I felt like that. I I feel like I've missed two pages worth of stuff here. It just doesn't make any sense at all to me. In the present day, Al breaks down, telling Birdie that he can't do anything without him, how he's scared and that the world outside of their friendship would just finish him off. Birdie finally speaks, telling Al that he's full of shit. The doctors and orderlies come in and Birdie doesn't talk to them. Only once they leave does he talk to Al again. 
The boys stage an escape, climbing atop of the building. Birdie jumps off, seemingly to his death. Al runs over to the side of the building, only to see there's a building below a few feet lower. Birdie looks up at him and asks, what? What indeed, Birdie? What was that? So that was the third act, clocking in just under two hours. How did we feel about the ending? Matt? Um, the ending, whilst it did give me a wry smile, like the actual gag of mm-hmm. him like jumping off and then... Unfortunately, I was giving it a lot of credit up to this point, thinking actually, you know, it's talking about how people don't understand mental health, people don't understand this, people don't understand that. But then it kind of just trivialised it at the end with this gag. And whilst I enjoyed the gag, it just then automatically took away what ended up being what I was thinking, okay, this is okay at the end. And then it just took it away in like in in an instant. So... um, it was the metaphor. It was a metaphorical roller coaster, but unfortunately, that roller coaster was the one where that girl lost her leg. <laughs> Smiler, <laughs> whatever it was. Would it have been better if Birdie had actually flown off the building? Well, actually flown. Actually flown off the the building. Yeah, I think yeah. It's the Inception ending. I yeah. guess it's like well, well, what was what happened here then? Like. You never know, like what was going on. I think it probably would have been. Um, this is like a, it's like a tale of of two 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 editors, really. Like maybe one quit halfway through, and so they decided to change change the <laughs> direction of the film, like midway through the edit or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, the ending for me then it just it it it, ru- it really ruined it sadly, um, because it did hook me a little bit in like the third act, but. Uh, not enough. Not enough. Stu, should he have flown off the building? Yeah. yeah. Similar. Um, I mean, uh, when he when he looked over the side and he was th- just there, and then it ended, it was very much like, well, why? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would kind of prefer it if he'd have been splatted to death on the floor. I'm thinking, okay, fine. He he couldn't cope. He couldn't snap out of it. This was his destiny, and then mm. did it on a really sad note. I'm gonna give him more credit then. But the fact that that's yeah. out of nowhere. I mean, there's two there's two times in this film. There's the one where he, he's having to go at, at Al's dad, like we've already already mentioned, and then this where he's where he's like completely normal. He's not socially awkward, and he's doing something funny. And you and you think, well. If you're capable of doing this, and like there was times in the in the hospital in well, what you think is present day, who knows, where when he does seem to snap out of it and he's completely fine. And I thought, is this all an act? Is mm-hmm. it is it just playing along? God knows. I mean, I was happy that it was over. Um but I had more questions at the end than after half after halfway through it. Which mm. Yeah. It's a very odd situation to be in. Mm. <clears throat> I, I completely agree. I think when he just turns around and says what, it just cheapens everything that's come before it in the present day scenes because it makes me think that at no point did he actually have this delusion that he was a mm. bird, that he was just playing and that it was just an insult to people who suffer with actual genuine mental health issues. 
I think it would have been better if he flew just because it would have been a different ending to what we got. And I felt the, the ending we got was really cheap. He should have either died or flown and just left it to the audience. What they gave us was a shit sandwich. <clears throat> it just or, wasn't enough. Yeah, or like that's the Inception ending and just you never know what happened. You just, yeah. you just look over the edge and then it, the credits come up. Yeah. Maybe that would have been, been even happier better. with that. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. <clears throat> right, so Birdie received 1.4 million domestic box office. I don't think it was released internationally, which is quite odd when the directors are Brit. Um, that was against a budget of 12 million, which is quite a big budget for a 1984 movie. Uh, <clears throat> 1984 was a grand old year for the cinema, though. This is the top 12 from 12 to 1. Purple Rain, Splash, Romancing the Stone, Terms of Endearment, Star Trek Three: Search for Spock, Beverly Hills Cop, Footloose, Police Academy, Karate Kid, Gremlins, Temple of Doom, and number one with a whopping $229 million was Ghostbusters. Like, 1984 sounds like it was a really good year, but it's also a damning indictment of the current state of cinema. So there's only two sequels in that list, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, and Star Trek Three. <clears throat> But we're still getting Indiana Jones films. We're still getting Ghostbusters, Karate Kid, Star Trek, Footloose, all within the last decade have either been rebooted or given a sequel. We're getting Gremlins next year. There's been rumours of a Beverly Hills, either a fourth or a reboot. Same for Police Academy and Splash as well. So that list looks great, but we're still living off 1984. We're 38 years down the line at this point. And our cinema still looks like that, which is quite terrible, to be perfectly honest. This is the first one of these where I've seen every single one on that that list. <laughs> I think Star Trek's the only one I haven't seen. Even including like most of the sequels and remakes as well. Uh, so before I give you the scores on the ratings, I want you to tell me what you think they will be, Stu. <sighs> I mean, it's that it's one of these where it, it could really be, it could really surprise me. I mean, obviously the audience is going to be really bad. I mean, the fact that it's made hardly any money back, I'm, I'm guessing the audience is going to be round about like a, I don't know, forty-ish, so four, four and a half out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I think critics would probably love it because it's just fucking odd. Um, critic seven. I'll go with that. Matt? Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned because I had to cheat and I had to look this up because I was so perplexed at the end. I had to know what the people thought. I couldn't wait to find out. So I know what it is. Okay. I am fucking baffled by it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So IMDb is a 7.1, which stunned me. Absolutely stunned me. The Rotten Tomatoes audience score and critical score, there was 1% difference. The audience was an 83 and the critical was an 84. What? I'm stunned. I I genuinely cannot put into words how they've come to that. I just don't fucking get it. So Roger Ebert said, a very strange and beautiful movie. Janet Maslin from New York Times most of Birdie is enchanting. A more recent review is from Matt Brunson. This is from May 2021. He said, 
It sounds borderline precious and pretentious, but it's anything but. A few critics didn't chime with it, though. Yasser Medina, also from last year, it relies on a good performance from Matthew Modine and Nick Cage to draw a speech of repressed, unrepressed emotions and the traumatic wounds of war. But in my opinion, its regular and repetitive narrative lacks strength. I do wonder how much of this critical love comes from a yearning for Americana and the American way of life post-Vietnam War. Because uh, Yasser Medina is a Spanish-speaking person. I think he's from South America. So he obviously doesn't have that same connection. Whereas the other three critics I mentioned are all Americans. And they all love it. So I do wonder how much of the American psyche affects the reviews with that. Mm. I don't know. Uh, the fan response, this isn't even on the UK Amazon. <laughs> like, it just isn't there. So I have to go to the US version to find out where it sits at a 4.5 out of 5, with 95% of the reviews getting three or more stars. I've only got one for you because it's a little bit longer. <clears throat> Our Walker gave it a five-star review. Directed by the great Alan Parker, starring the very young Nicolas Cage and Matthew Modine, who both give performances that guys twice their age would have found hard to match. Credit must also go to Alan Parker, who took this literary World War II classic book and with a superb updated screenplay, now set in Vietnam, makes this amazing complex story even more accessible to people who don't read classics. Big kudos to Peter Gabriel for creating the wonderful, hypnotic, yet powerful music soundtrack. That'd be Peter Gabriel of Sledgehammer fame. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, and the superb cinematography for making this an underrated classic. Remember, this is before CGI, yet the camera flies like one of the birds. It still rings true after all these years. If you don't laugh and cry during this movie, you are probably, one, retarded, or two, sociopath who should seek professional help. Wow. Yeah, fucking hell. Right, Stu, good, bad and crazy, please. I mean, the good, you just mentioned it there, that that scene where it seemed like drone footage, which obviously couldn't have been in the 80s. Oh, God knows how that was done. That was amazing. Um, it really is like clutching at feathers, I suppose, um, <laughs> with this kind of, because there's not much... I already mentioned... The boob gag, which was funny, and I just, I don't know. I, I just I honestly don't know what to say because the, it's so awful. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing about this film that I enjoyed really. I mean, it, mm. we've already mentioned about how, how much of a slog it was to get through, but some of the camera work was good, I suppose, um, and. <laughs> The idea maybe was there, um, and the pigeon, the the little yellow canary thing killing itself was quite funny. Um, <laughs> but again, you're looking at you, you're trying to find things. I mean, let's just get to the bad. The bad is everything else because it's slow. It's way too slow. It could have been hour and a half, and half of this shit doesn't even matter anyway. When the, the already so the, the cutbacks to the 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 asylum, it's the same thing over and over again for two hours. Like nothing, mm -hmm. nothing changes. Well, the weird thing about the, you didn't even mention it, but the the guy who just spits on things for no reason at all. What was all that all about? 
Is that like another way of, oh, yeah, he, this guy come back from Vietnam and now he, he spits on things? Well, okay. Mm. Fair enough. So everything just seemed a bit weird. And so if it was just played for a, like a surreal masterpiece, bring it on. I don't enjoyed that, but it doesn't know what it wants to be. I think that kind of, that's a detriment to everything about it. And I'm, I mean, the crazy, the crazy is the fact that people like it. I don't, I don't generally, I don't not, understand. Not just like it, people yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't understand. And it, just lost for words. Mm. I, I think we need to give a shout out to our American brethren. Get in contact and can you, can you explain why people like this film? Like, and if you actually, if you're English as well, if you like this film, can you explain what's good about it? Please, cagefightingpod at gmail.com or at cagefightingpod on the socials. I, I need to know because I'm baffled. Matt, good, bad, and crazy, please, sir. So, the good, there were, you know, there are some themes here and there are some things that are going on that interested me, you know, around the mental health side. And there was some decent attempts at character development. So when Birdie is talking to his dad on a couple of occasions, there's some like heartfelt moments between two people that clearly love each other and the dad like just wants the best for his son and wants him to do better than he didn't being this janitor in a school cleaning up prom kids sick. Do you know what I mean? Like there's clearly there is some heart to to this and you know, Birdie and Al clearly love each other and, and you know, the, the, the power of friendship and all that. Um, but the bad is the, you know, these these themes are so badly delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like mentioned about the ending was like, you know, really cheapened, cheapened the whole thing. You know, we've, we've not really mentioned about how Al clearly has, it's not like body dysmorphia or anything, but he's so upset about his appearance now and everything else and, everything that comes with that and you know it, there's there's nobody that's happy in this film there's not a single soul that's happy in this film everybody's got problems and whether that's a metaphor for that's what this film is trying to say that everyone has issues severe minor this is how we live with it kind of thing you know it's not all doom and gloom i don't know um the the crazy is this is normally the kind of hipster nonsense that you'd lap up Andy and even you hate it <laughs> that's that's gotta stand for something do you know what I mean this yeah. is the kind of thing that in my head gets standing ovations at, at film festivals and that's why I would never be a part of that world because I just don't understand what other people see this is high Paris fashion when people walk around in inflated bin bags down a <laughs> runway Mm. And then we're expected to enjoy it because it's just fashion. That's what this film is, essentially. I just don't understand it, but I think you're meant to respect it, and I just don't. I, just don't. I wonder how much of that is that the film needs to be a whole lot weirder to mm. be artistic. It's not weird enough. It's it's a little bit too, I dare say, real life. If I can lynch this bad boy up. Yeah. That's what it needed, like a proper off-the-wall bonkers director, not someone who's used to doing or who goes on to do real-life tales. It just didn't work. Um, to my good, it's very much the technical side of things. I thought that Alan Parker did a good job directing some of the scenes. 
the interaction between the friends was good. That's really where it ends for me, um, because the rest of this film, it's all about the vibe rather than actually anything happening. There's no real story to any of this movie, to be perfectly honest. They're all just little snippets of a larger tale that you never get to see what's really going on. So it felt a bit pointless. Um, it lacks any real cohesion and clarity to, to the message. Like I feel like the message is supposed to be the scars of war. But mm. we only got that in the last half an hour or so with Cage's breakdown in the, the mental hospital with Birdie. And he didn't really go far enough to really show that. And the rest of the 75 minutes, or sorry, the rest of the 75%, the 90 minutes, was just a higgledy-piggledy story about just the odd day in the life of. Like a film is supposed to be about an extraordinary day in someone's ordinary life. And this just wasn't, this was just an ordinary day in ordinary people's lives and there was nothing interesting about it. It just failed miserably for me. <clears throat> I mean, crazy. Why, oh, sorry, Stu. Why on earth was La Bambrini? <laughs> <laughs> mm, good question. Yeah. <clears throat> and the crazy... It, 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 oh. I mean, that, that was probably one of the highlights of the film, so I love that song. And it doesn't fit anywhere. <laughs> No, it doesn't. It's completely it was, out of place. It was used about three times. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know <laughs> if any of the choices that they made for most of this film. Mm. Uh, apparently, Nicolas Cage had some baby teeth when this film started rolling. He was twenty years old at this point, and he still had some baby teeth, which he had removed without anaesthetic. So, like he. He bled for his course, like, pretty much realistically. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was something that you picked up on, Stu. This was the first use of Skycam on a film. So it was held up by wires supported by cranes and controlled by a computer. Like, it's quite amazing to think that that piece of technology, which has then gone on to be used in all these other movies, was wasted by debuting in a movie like this. So it wasn't a drone, but like it was as close to a drone as you could get in 1984. Oh, so it was a bit like the um, like the spider cam things that we have at football. Yeah, basically, it was the guy who invented the Steadicam who invented the, the technology to do it to do that, which it is kind of amazing. Like yeah. the technical side of things was quite good in this movie. It was just the rest of it wasn't. <laughs> um. So, I mean, I've got to ask the question, did you enjoy the film, Matt? In very, very, very small parts, but if you need a binary yes or no answer, then, of course, it's it's a no. And uh, I won't trouble it to be watched again. And Stuart Hall, there was absolutely no fucking need for me to watch this in 1080p either. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely wasn't. Stu? Well... Say no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm trying, to think, I'm trying to think of a metaphor. There's just nothing. Is there? There's nothing left to give. No, I hate yeah. this film. Yeah, I found it really tedious. Um, the flashback stories didn't add any colour to what was going on in the present day. And really, what's the point in having the flashback stories if they're not going to inform the present? It was just a bunch of loose, overlong 
series of escapades. Uh, it was it was crap. I, I really struggled to put any, any other word than it was just crap. Uh, so based on this film and this film alone, was Nicolas Cage good or bad? Stu? I don't think he was... It's, it's, it's going to be bad because, I mean, he wasn't the best thing about this film, was he? And you'd think he would be. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just going to say that. I mean, he, other than looking ripped for probably the first time that we've seen, um, yeah, he wouldn't, he wouldn't get much work on the back of this. Let's just say that. Matt, do you agree? Uh, it's really hard, actually. This is a really tough question because, you know, there's no lack of effort here. You know, he's been in, in better films and had worse performances because of a lack of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, he gives it his all, like the scenes at the end, you know, when he, you know, he gives it his all, but he isn't, you you could replace Nick Cage with any, with any, any actor. And I think you have the same results regardless in this film. I don't think Nick Cage brings anything to this film. So it would have to be a no. Mm. Okay, I'm going to say yes, just because I don't think the script and the story was strong enough to really support him. But I think what he did with what he was given was fine. I wouldn't say he was good. I just don't think he was bad. Hmm. So I'm going to give him a pass on this one. Just like you said, there was a couple of scenes, especially towards the end where you were seeing him struggle and break down. I think with a much stronger, tighter script in the preceding 80% of the film, that last mm. 20 minutes would have popped. So I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him a pass on this one just for the last 20% of this film. I think he did a really good job. So yeah. And like you said, Matt, this is never getting washed again anyway. So fuck it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Finish the sentence then. If you enjoyed birdie, you might also like Matt. Um, Rain man, as I, as I mentioned it earlier, um, you know, it's it's completely different conditions that they're talking about. Um, but if you enjoyed the elements of heart about this film, and there is a few, you know, you'll enjoy you'll enjoy Rain Man, Tom Cruise, you know, Playboy, businessman, absolutely doesn't care for for uh, Raymond. Um, <laughs> and but as the film progresses, he understands more, and he understands how actually special he is, and not special in a derogatory way, like you know the skills that he has and uh, having savant being a savant and uh, and having autism and it by the end of it it, it is a genuine tearjerker and it's a mm. it's a great it's just a great and it, and it deserves all the critical acclaim that it gets it doesn't do it in a mawkish way either and it's just a, it's just a wonderful film um and well worth well worth the time watching it if you haven't seen it already mm. you know once I've watched um, Top Gun Maverick in a couple of weeks I really want us to do an episode just about Tom Cruise. I know we don't mm. usually do specific episodes, but I feel like Tom Cruise is a really interesting superstar, but actually a genuinely good actor as well. Like he he straddles the line between both. I, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had about Tom Cruise. So um, I think I'm going to make a note of that and I'll see what we can come up with for that. But really good choice that one is as well. Stu? I mean, if you enjoy this, then you, you deserve to be in the mental hospital, the, the, <laughs> the base of Um there's a lot of them in there. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind with this would be something like The Deer Hunter, if you want a bit of a proper actual film. Um, 
that deals with the effects of war. I think it's Vietnam, is he? It's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah. Um, De Niro classic, a proper superb film. It's well made and you can understand. So, yeah, The Deer Hunter. I didn't like The Deer Hunter. And like I loved De Niro, but I just didn't do it for me. I found it a bit overlong. I preferred, is it, um, is it The Reindeer Games? It's a Christmas film loosely based on it. It's fucking ridiculous, but that was fun. Um, but yeah. Um, for me, I've got two. Full Metal Jacket. It's a better Matthew Modine film. Better Matthew Modine performance. It's a better Vietnam film. It's a better anti-war film. It's a better film about mental health struggles. It's just a better film than this. So I implore you to watch that. And the other one, Forrest Gump. I think he does what this film tries to do, but just a lot better. He tells a good story of a person and his relationships through time and also does touch on issues around uh, post-life, uh, post-war life. So, yeah, Forrest Gump, which isn't something I normally would recommend because I don't think that's a great film, And but you know what I think about Hanks. But I, was- I think it's this film, but a lot better. I was adamant, and I it didn't. I avoided it just so it didn't clash. I, I imagine we all did, and obviously one flew over the cuckoo's nest as well with of the course. bird thing as well. Um, you know, talks very much in depth about the way that we handle mental health and and the stigmas attached to it. And you know, um, in many ways, I don't know which one came first in this: the chicken or the egg? No pun intended. Um, but you know there are very there are a lot of similarities between the two films, and obviously one is in, in, a lot better than the other. Um, did any of you watch Ratched on Netflix? The or was it Netflix? I'm not sure if it was Netflix or Prime or whatever. I when think they it was did a, they did like the prequel of of Nurse Ratched. I didn't see, it, oh, but I heard no. very good things because mm. it's the guys who did American Horror Story, if yeah. I remember correctly, and yeah. it's Sarah Paulson, isn't it? Who is always excellent. So yeah, that, mm, that's what we want to watch. Yeah, I think so. Right, that's another Nick Cage movie in the record books. If you've seen this one or any others, please get in contact. Cagefightingpod at gmail.com or on the socials at cagefightingpod. Um obviously because you're listening to us now, please if you could leave us a review and a star rating on whichever podcatcher you use, that would really help bump us up and might get more eyes on the podcast. Uh, please make sure that you're subscribed as well whilst you're there, just so you don't miss an episode. And finally, just thank you for giving us your time this week. It's much appreciated. So for this week, Matthew, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy. Look after yourselves, everybody. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Live, laugh, love. Ta-ra. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. We'll be right back.